0: You're listening to a sermon from Emmaus City Church, located in Worcester, Massachusetts. We seek to walk in union with Jesus and share his good news with our community.
1: We're continuing our series in the Psalms, songs that in one sense are ever ancient and in another sense are ever new particularly if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that the psalm book was Jesus' song book, Mm -hmm. that He sang the song of ascents during that faithful night with His disciples as well as declared songs from the cross in excruciating pain. Was Jesus shouting? Was Jesus whispering? Was He singing from a place that was so barbaric and so vulnerable and yet this Word was so welled up in Him? that He poured out a song when all we could potentially see was just death. We've actually gone through three different psalms so far. Psalm 23 is a psalm that begins with, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. And in that psalm, we see that Jesus is not only the good shepherd, that He literally can guide us through death. Not only physically, but spiritually, mentally, emotionally, that we don't have to fear the valley of the shadow of death because He's with us. So death to relationships, death to jobs, death to all these things that hit us in the face and make us realize that this world, man, it can't be all there is because if so, it ends in death. And yet Jesus is the one who leads us through death. We also looked at Psalm 4, a psalm of the midnight hour. A psalm when we are laying down and we wonder, does God give sleep to the weary? Does He give rest? And yet we know that Jesus intercedes alone, even when those abandon Him, that He's the one that intercedes for us so that we can go to sleep. He is the one that cries the midnight prayer even when all the others have fallen asleep. And then last week we looked at Psalm 127. Or unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord establishes the house, the workers labor in vain. But Jesus is the one that says, I go to prepare a place for you. Again, for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, you're part of my family. You are not alone. And if you build your life now, it's not just about what's happening later. If you build your life now, on my words, you will build it on a rock that will keep you secure. That I am the master builder. That I build life not only for later, but for right now. And so we look now to the 4G's God. And that may seem a little ancient itself because Verizon now has the 5G network. (laughs) And then as we see a God that is going to be declared by David to be the great God, the glorious God, the good God, and the gracious God. And if I were to add a 5G, I would say the grand God. If you look up in the dictionary, grand means magnificent. So maybe this even brings us back to the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. The grand God. But if you read this and you say, wow, the great, the glorious, the good, the gracious God and King, that sure is a mouthful. And yes, I hope it's a mouthful that makes your heart full. At the same time, if we want to simply ask why, because He's Jesus. The goal for me this afternoon is to show that even though King David didn't know the name Jesus yet, when he was writing this psalm, Psalm 145, the last psalm we have from David in the psalm book out of the 150, that here is the description of Jesus. Here is how Jesus fulfills all the promises of God in yes and amen. Here is how Jesus embodies the, the reality of a great, a glorious, a good, and a gracious King who is grand, who is majestic, who we need to see magnified again, because maybe we've shrunk him a little too small. So I want to invite Juliet to come up. She is going to read from God's Word, and then she's going to pray for the Spirit to empower the preaching of God's Word. Psalm
0: 145. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of your of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of God. Heavenly Father, you are great and mighty and glorious and kind and gentle. And you provide everything that we need. I just ask that as Mike opens up scripture to us today, that you would use his mouth as your mouthpiece, Lord God. That you would speak straight into each one of our hearts, Lord God. That you would shine your light into our hearts, Lord God. And just just awaken our souls, Lord God. Amen. We thank you, and we just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Did you notice another G in Juliet's prayer? Gentle. Gentle. Uh, We didn't plan that. Uh, That was the Holy Spirit working through Juliet, I trust. Um, But I think that may be the other G we need this afternoon. As much as we need the Grand King who is magnificent, we need the Gentle King. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. Did that happen to you today? And maybe it wasn't the wishes and hopes. Maybe it was the fears. (laughs) Maybe it was the depression. Maybe it was the work. And it rushed at you like wild animals. And Lewis goes on to say that the first job, the vocation of humanity in this broken world in which we are image bearers of the divine, but broken image bearers. The first job, the vocation consists in shoving those back and listening to that other voice. That other voice that is not about to tear you apart like a wild animal. The one that's not like The roaring lion seeking to devour you, but instead is the lion of Judah about to push back all those things that want to devour you. But will we listen to his gentle voice? If we can't hear the full blast of the roar of the lion of Judah, that great and glorious and good and gracious king, maybe we have to stop enough to hear his gentle purring, that he's close that He wants to be near. Say, Mike, how do you know that Jesus is great, or that He's glorious, or that He's good, or that He's gracious, or that He's fulfilling so many years later what David was singing about in this psalm? Well, those are four G's. I'll give you four S's about this Savior. Jesus is great because He secures. Even in Jesus' life, when everything seemed out of control, He was securing our hope on that cross. That when He looked the least great, He was doing something incredibly great. He secures. As much as those nails seemed to secure Him on that cross, He was securing the way for your sorrows to be redeemed. How is Jesus glorious? He shares. Jesus is the only human being that has fully shown what God is like in all His glory. And He could hold on to that all to Himself. But no, He wants to make you new creation too. He wants to show what it would be like for you to live out of a place of freedom in which you begin to give glimpses of the glory of God. And He's willing to share that. And you know what? Anybody can receive that this afternoon. It's not something He's holding back or waiting for you to get glorious enough for. How is Jesus good? He truly satisfies. And honestly, that's the one we're going to have to press in hard because I think that's the one, at least for me, that can be hard enough for to believe because there are so many things that are offered you right now that say this is where you're going to be satisfied. It's not Jesus. This is where you're going to find your fullness, not Jesus. But Jesus is good. He's the only one who is good, and He satisfies. And last but not least, how is Jesus gracious? Because He saves. His name means the Lord is salvation. So, again, either He was crazy, or He was evil, or maybe He was the Savior. Does He save And all this comes out of a fruit of the Spirit that is love and joy and peace and patience. But gentleness is one of those. See, so you say, Mike, God is great. And kids, I want you to look for a second. Where do you see great? Highlight that. It was written in one of those verses. But one thing we like to say is God is great, which means He's in control. And so where do we see in these verses that God is in control? And those could be related to times maybe where you see the word great. And adults, you can do this too. I need to highlight things. I got a little ruler that I carry around everywhere in books I read, and I highlight. So uh, I get made fun of for that as well as get intrigued by that. But my wife bought them for me, and I've used them. So I've got them. Um, So where's the first time we see greatness in Psalm 145? Any of the kids you want to shout out, where do you see the word great first? Which verse? Three, verse, three. verse three. That's right. So I will say this: Verse three talks about his greatness, but we also see glimpses of it in verse fourteen and in verse twenty, even if it might not necessarily say that word. The Lord's greatness is unsearchable. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. Somebody's got to have some greatness to do something like that or even claim to do something like that. How powerful is this great God? The Lord guards all those who love Him, but He destroys all the wicked. Believe me, no one has eradicated the wicked yet. It's wreaking havoc. And all of us have something we think is wicked. Maybe in us, maybe outside of us, maybe systemic, maybe individual. But we got something where, we're like, the world is wrong, and that's part of the reason why. Is God great enough to deal with that? Unsearchable greatness. Last time we talked about the greatness of God, some of you gave some great answers, kids. Talked about the ocean, the fact that 95% of the ocean, we haven't plumbed what's going on there. And 99% of the ocean floor, we don't even know what's down there. So that seems like an unsearchable greatness. Another aspect of greatness might be space. That from Earth to the edge, at least at this point, because space seems to be expanding, is 46 billion plus light years. But you know what's so interesting in the midst of that Oftentimes right now when people talk about greatness or what's in control of their lives, they'll say, well, the universe is doing this for me. Or this must be the universe. And in some ways it's like instead of giving God the acknowledgement or maybe God seems too mysterious or too personal, well, at least the universe is that great. So the universe must do something for me. I've heard that multiple times. i heard that from a friend. Well, the universe must have done that. I've seen that on television this week. Well, I'll give that up to the universe. But God's not just this expanse that seems to be expanding. God wants to grow just how much He is for us, in us, to us. That we can't reach the ends of that. And that when we talk about light years, there is an expanse of light that God wants to reveal. But isn't it interesting how much little us can eclipse God? That we can shrink Him down from His greatness. One of my all-time favorite authors is the Roman Catholic Flannery O'Connor who died early of lupus. I love Flannery O'Connor. Don't get me started. I can't wax poetic like her, but I love her. And I love how she wrote this as an author, as a prayer. And if you want to get this for me, this is a beautiful prayer. I love this prayer. I need this prayer. Listen to this. Dear God, I cannot love you the way I want to. You are the slim crescent of a moon that I see, and myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing all the moon. Let me say that again. You are the slim crescent of a moon that I see, and myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing all the moon. The crescent is very beautiful, and perhaps that is all one like I am should or could see. But what I'm afraid of, dear God, is that my self-shadow will grow so large that it blocks the whole moon. And that I will judge myself by the shadow that is nothing. I do not know you, God, because I am in the way. Please help me to push myself aside. The first step for us, getting a little greatness and understanding for God, is to say, God, I don't know you how I should I am in the way. I'm creating the shadow. I need to be pushed aside. God has made us in His image and yet too often we return the favor and make Him in our image. We shrink Him down to our fears, to our hopes, to our desires in ways that We've only seen a sliver, and we need to see so much more of him. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you don't know. Maybe the question is, is we don't want an unsearchable God. We want one that we can keep contained, that we can set aside instead of him setting us aside. I love Ephesians chapter 3 because somehow the manifold wisdom of God is displayed in His church. Oh, church, do we want to live into that? Do we get to live into that? Would we dare to hope that? And yet it says this, the grace was given to preach the unsearchably great riches of Christ. Every single person here who follows Jesus gets to be part of that declaration. That from our first breath to our last, when we truly or shakably, or doubtfully, or faithfully declare this gospel, that there won't be enough breasts in our life to declare the unsearchably rich, great riches that are in Jesus. And again, He's gentle with you because all of you are invited into that. That we need to hear the gospel from each other because we may have one rich... Aspect, but somebody else has another rich aspect that we need to hear. That this unsearchable greatness means anytime we get to interact with each other in the church and we get to share about this good news of Jesus, that we need to hear it from each other. And we need to talk about how it was good to give up control or that God rents control away or here's how I was shrinking God or tell me how I'm shrinking God right now. That's been something that in the midst of our church officer candidacy equipping is Maybe the first step is we just need to keep going up to each other and saying, you've heard me talk this week or you've heard me share. Tell me where I'm missing the gospel. a City Church, we would be a beautiful church if we were people that said, you've heard me talk, tell me how I'm missing the gospel. You've heard me pray, where do I need to hear the good news of Jesus right now? I think I have searchable greatness, but I need some unsearchable greatness right now. Would you do that with me? And that's why we pray together. That's why we move in micro city groups together because in prayer and in mission, our control shrinks back and we step into the places we need a God who is in control. See, the fruit of making or taking an idol of greatness instead of resting in God's greatness is that the nightmare is uncertainty. The nightmare is worry. The nightmare is Solitude and moving into isolation so that we can control the little space we're in, but God's saying, I have so much more to lead you into. Will you trust I'm great? Where do we see Jesus in this greatness of God? Matthew eight, twenty-three through twenty-seven is when creation listens to him. The disciples in their element, as fishermen on the sea, where they should be in the most control or in the least control, and it shakes them to their core. And Jesus stands up and says, what? Peace. Creation needed to hear that word of peace from Jesus. The disciples needed to hear that word of peace from Jesus. I love how in the moment of Herod feeling completely out of control at the beginning of Matthew, still declares who Jesus is. Where is he born king? Where is he? Herod wanted to take him out. But he was still acknowledging that he wasn't where the king was. The gentleness of God is come find me in my greatness. Find me where you can rest and give up your control and trust that the same Jesus who gave peace to creation, the same Jesus who gave peace to His disciples is the same great King and God who desires to give peace to you. Second one is glorious. Where Jesus shares in Psalm 145, Kids again, where's the first time we see glorious? I'm going to do this with good and gracious later, so you can look ahead. But where do we first hear that God is glorious? Which verse? Number five, three. For glorious? Say that again? Isaac, Which one? Where's glorious first said first, buddy? Five, that's right. So we see it in verse five, but I'll also say we see bits of God's glory in verses 11 and 12 and 15. In terms of if, if God is glorious, we do not have to be afraid of losing our reputation or afraid of losing our beauty because it's secure in Jesus. It says, I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. And what happens when we see that? It says, they will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might Informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Isn't it interesting how greatness and glory are starting to mix together here? Mighty acts. All eyes, I love this, all eyes in verse 15 look to you. See, when we're no longer blind and we are looking for pure glory, for beautiful glory, the only place we can look to that will fulfill all that gloriousness and that beauty is the God who reigns. The Greatest Showman is a movie that came and went and stuck. People just kept going back to it. And probably the favorite song from that wonderful musical is This Is Me. And Last time I talked about The Glorious God, I talked about how what if instead of This Is Me and that i got to keep reminding myself about this, the song was Jesus With Me that Jesus keeps reminding me about this. Say, Mike, how does that song go when Jesus is the glorious showman? I'm not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. But He won't let them break me down to dust. He said that He'd prepare a place for us, for He is glorious. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, He's going to send His song. He's going to drown it out. He is brave. He was bruised. He is who I'm meant to be. Jesus with me. Look out because here He comes and He's marching to the beat of love. He's not scared to be seen. He makes no apologies. Jesus with me. In your darkest moment, He's the only one that's not afraid to be seen with you. Wherever you think you've diminished your glory the most, He's willing to come and give a bit of His glory. And He shocks us with His humility to share. Oh, to look at someone in your darkest moment and no, no, you're not alone. In your deepest, harshest memory, you're not alone. And Jesus is there. And He's willing to be with you. Look out, because here He comes and He's marching to the beat of love. But the fruit of taking or making an idol of our glory is saying, no, God, I wanted to be glorious in that moment. I wanted my life to be glorious in that moment and we fight for that as we'll keep fighting the need, a story that gets other people's attention. I say, so, you know what, God? I don't want to be alone with you. I want these other people to say, I'm good enough. I want these other people to say your life is glorious. I want these other people to say, man. And they're not afraid, but honestly, I know there'll be moments I'm still going to have to hide because if those people really saw who I was, maybe they wouldn't stay with me. I think that's sometimes what we do when we look for the reputation among others is we move into Romans 1.23 and we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal mankind. God's voice isn't enough. We need other people's voices, but the problem is, is other people's voices will eventually exhaust themselves because they're not perfect either. Eventually we won't be enough for them and they won't be enough for us. But praise God that Colossians 1.27 says, God wanted to make known the glorious wealth of this mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God wanted to make known the glorious wealth of this mystery. Christ in you all. All of you, each of you, together. His manifold wisdom of church, the hope of glory. Where is Jesus glorious? Matthew 26 when that woman comes in and has all eyes on her and she breaks what's most valuable for her. And in the midst of the scorn, she doesn't care because she will lay her feet on Jesus. She will draw up close to Jesus because Jesus will see her and he's not afraid to be with her. He's the glorious showman. He says wherever the gospel is preached, you'll hear about her. Matthew 19, 28 says, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on what? His glorious throne. You who have followed me will also sit. He was talking to the 12. He said they're going to sit on 12 thrones, but we get to be part of this kingdom. See, with Jesus, the end is glorious. The end is not entropy. In terms of the dismantling out. He's renewing. He's restoring. He's going to bring it back together even as we see the effects of our rebellion. You know where glory is mentioned most in the New Testament? The end. Revelation. And we are in the middle of our stories right now. Will you trust Jesus to not only be your Alpha, but your Omega? that He can make right now glorious in the end. This great God and King who's good, He's Jesus who satisfies. I've had some kids on the left, some kids on the right, would a kid in the middle show me where God has declared His good first in Psalm 145. Which verse? Where is goodness or good mentioned first? Verse Verse 7. And I would say that we see more of God's goodness also in verse 9 and verse 16 and 18 and 19. They will give a testimony of your great goodness. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests in all He has made. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is near to all who call out Him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. And again, this can be a hard one. I think this is my hardest. When I shared with others recently, I said, it's not that I don't believe he's a great king, it's that I wonder if he's good in his greatness. And oftentimes it's because my desires are just not as big as his, not as mysterious, not as everlasting. I'm wanting the glory now so I question his goodness you say but Mike how is he good to everyone how does that play out in a world that is so scarred and full of disease and erosion and violence and murder it's a good question in some ways when we would want certain things to end if God looked out at what was not good and made it end none of us would be here anymore And so in His goodness, he's patient. But I think that's where we're often hardest with God is we're not patient with Him. We're not slow to anger with God. In fact, I would say that's probably where we least image Him right now, in many ways, is we demand our rule. We demand to manage good and evil on our terms and so we quickly get angry when God does not play by our rules. And yet God is slow to anger with us in His goodness. Uh, I was reading a book that I would highly recommend to anyone in terms of us. Why are we in this mentality in this emotional state? How do we see God and religion and science in the world right now? Mark Sayers is someone who uh, writes on culture as well as Serves in ministry, and he wrote a book called The Road Trip That Changed the World. And uh, man, that one carved some new places and some blind spots that I had. Um, Again, I would highly recommend it. I'm just going to quote a small part. He was actually writing about a book that came out decades ago from a man named William Darrymple called From the Holy Mountain. And William had gone to the Middle East where following Jesus was not a mere possibility, it was pretty much an inevitability. That if you're going to publicly say you follow Jesus, you're going to die. Uh, We can still see that in Iran, and yet in the place where you declare you follow Jesus and you're about to die is also the place where it seems like more people are following Jesus per capita than any other country. And so again, the upside down kingdom and the paradox of who God is plays out. But as William went, to the Middle East to talk to people. It says, In one Lebanese valley, he saw an ancient old man staring at him from a grove of trees. And this ancient old man came up to William and asked if he was a Christian. And William in that moment whispered, Yes. And so the ancient man grasped William's hand and led him to an old chapel next to his hut. See, the priest was the only Christian in the valley. And he worshipped alone in that tiny chapel. And William asked the man if he was happy. And if anything right now, that's often what I hear from people that follow Jesus and don't follow Jesus And the in-between is, I just want to be happy or I just want so-and-so to be happy. And so in this moment, William asked this man who was alone and following Jesus if he was happy. And listen to this answer. Is this not a prophetic word? I don't know. Yes, my life is happy, but only because it is difficult. Oh my God. And I do not say that in vain. When was the last time I could be asked, Mike, are you happy? And I could say, of course I'm happy, but only because life is difficult. never ask that. Yeah. Some of you all might try that. Mike, you happy this week? You look down. (laughs) Despite his loneliness, despite his sadness, despite his depression and death that stared him in the face, he described in an indescribable joy of knowing the presence of God in that space. William asked him, despite the coming violence, will you leave? And this is what this old this priest said, no, 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 I'm going to stay in this place of loneliness. I'm going to stay in this place of depression. I'm going to stay in this place of probably inevitable death. Why? Whatever happens, I will stay. I am a prisoner of God. I cannot leave. That in being a servant of this king, if he's truly always good and all good, the safest and best place to be is where his cell is. His wilderness is. May a city church. This is why being challenged into micro city groups is a good thing. To be sent out in regularity, in commitment, in covenant, to be among a people, to go and say in places where people are like, I'm not happy, and there's no way Jesus can give me that happiness. And some of us begin to question, I don't feel happy either. I thought you might want that. You obviously don't. And at the same time, I thought this mission would go differently, that in that space, what if God's inviting us to where we can get to loneliness, we can get to desperation, we can get to inevitable... death and say are you happy and we'll be able to look at each other and say of course I'm happy but only because it is difficult (laughs) because I found that in the face of this difficulty there is a God who's better than I ever thought the goodness away from this difficulty could be But see, if we take the fruit of taking or making an idol of our goodness instead of resting in God's goodness in the desert, then we'll need to escape or we'll need to be hooked. We will look for entertainment to distract us in so many different ways. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And again, I want to look at King David. I've said this before with Psalm 23, but David is declaring this. David is somebody who knows poverty and he knows wealth. He knows what it's like to have a faithful spouse and he knows what it's like to have a spouse who criticizes you and makes fun of your devotion to God. He knows what it's like to steal someone's spouse and commit adultery and murder. And then write Psalm 51, one of the greatest confessions of, of repentance, of sin, and put it all out there for the whole kingdom to see. Probably one of his ugliest moments. It's recorded in human history. David knows what it's like to despair and what it's like to joy. Just read the Psalms. He wrote 40% of them. He moves into those spaces with God. He's not ashamed. He asks God questions. He shouts at God. He bends a knee to God. He moves through the life and and back to resurrection with God again. He's been abandoned by people. His own son tried to take over his kingdom. He's been betrayed by his children. (coughs) So again, whether you've been betrayed by your family or friends, or you've taken things that you didn't deserve and said those deserve to be mine, whether you've been in poverty or wealth, David is singing this song in the midst of those spaces too. He's been a refugee. He's been a king. He's birthed children. He's watched a child die because of his sin. And he's still telling us that God is good. You know what's so crazy is God keeps giving out of His goodness. One of the questions again that has been, is like, okay, the gospel is good in the past. How is it good right now? Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3, His divine power has given us Graciously, everything we need to experience life right now. Everything we need. Man, that's daring, Peter. And remember, Peter was writing to disperse refugees that were running away from people that want to kill them too. And Peter was bold enough to say, God's divine power has given us everything we need to experience life now and to reflect God's true nature. It's all available right now. The gospel is as powerful and present right now. I would encourage you to read 2 Peter 1 verses 3 through 11 to push into that space. See, with Jesus, our souls are the gardens that God has planted fruit of the Spirit in. Will we cultivate the good that He's given us? Will we see that fruit of the Spirit come out through the manure? Even if it seems so small can the light still break through? Again, quoting Dalrymple from The Holy Mountain, he asked the patriarch of Jerusalem of the viability of Christianity in the Middle East, and this is what the patriarch said, Do not judge a light by the size of the container. Even a small, small oil lamp can give light to a big room. Jesus it may seem small to you right now, but he's willing to hit all the places in your life with his light you may seem small to you right now in the midst of the mission he's asking you to join him in and yet your light could hit the expanse of this city in ways maybe you've doubted or feared the last G is grace in the midst of all these it's one that is so sweet It's in verse 8. It's probably in verse 17 and 18 and 19 too. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great and faithful love. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and faithful in all His acts. The Lord is near all who call out to Him and He hears their cry for help. And He what? He saves them. God is gracious because Jesus saves. And where grace is probably displayed the most... Is in His death. After all the injustice, of all the accusation, of all the falseness, Jesus cries out again in Matthew 27 with a loud voice and gave up His spirit. And suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split and the tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and they came out of the tombs after His resurrection, entered the holy city and appeared to many. This scene is crazy. But when the centurion, the one who killed him, the one who diminished him, the one who was subjugating him as a Jew, when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly this man was the Son of God. That moment of revelation for the person that was in charge of securing Jesus' beatings, Jesus' walk to Golgotha, Jesus' death. God was gracious enough in that moment to fully display himself to that centurion and that centurion said, truly, truly this man was the son of God. His grace is even for his murderers. You notice I didn't include a word from Jesus coming back to C.S. Lewis who we started with. C.S. Lewis says, until we have faces, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You are yourself the answer. Before your face, questions die away. The author of Hebrews says that in the face of Jesus, we see the image of God. And so Lewis at that moment was seeing Christ silent, uttering nothing more, crying out with a loud voice and giving up his spirit. And there we see... I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You yourself are the answer. Before your face, questions die away. What other answer could or would suffice? But see, the fruit of taking or making an idol of grace or diminishing grace to nothing is that we'll have to keep performing. We'll have to keep being smarter. We'll have to outsmart God so that his grace doesn't catch up to us. So that we can keep leading our lives rather than him. But Jesus said in Matthew 16:25, "Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will find it in me." John 1:16, "We all have received grace upon grace from whose fullness? Jesus'. He's the one that's full enough to keep giving grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. So I'll end with this. How is Jesus inviting you to trust him today? Do you need to trust him with security? You need to trust him that he's willing to share his glory, even in the most unglorious parts of your life. You need to trust him that he will satisfy in a desert, in a lonely spot. Or you just need to trust him to save. The invitation is to keep learning from him. To keep being surprised by these four G's. To join the participation with him in sharing this with others. This is our discipleship. Where is he inviting you to draw close? Again, recognizing he's the lion of Judah that can roar away all your fears. But maybe right now, He's inviting you to lay down and get close to His chest and hear His purring, that He is gentle. He's great. He's glorious. He's good and He's gracious. And He's gentle with you. Let's pray. Jesus, this gospel of which You are all these things and more Doesn't just save us, it keeps us. And so God help us. We want to run in so many different directions. Keep us in that holy place in which we are before an audience of one. And that is enough, which invites us to participate in a congregation of many. So that we love our neighbors and we see more invited home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: for listening. If you don't have a church family yet, we encourage you to find a community near you or join us for worship if you're near Worcester. For more information, go to Jesuslovesworcester.com or email us at info at May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you.